0: So Money Episode Five Twenty Five: Jessica Ma, Founder and CEO of In De Niro. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Tarabi Each day, get a thirty-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnush Tarabi. Are you ready for some inspiration? I got it. Today's guest was coding by the age of eight, started her first business at 12, dropped out of high school at 15, then launched her business. At 19. Mm-hmm. Jessica Ma is here. She's the CEO of Indonero. The Y Combinator Seed Accelerator called her the quote closest thing they have to a female Mark Zuckerberg. She graduated with $1.2 million in funding from Y Combinator. And from there, she's been featured on Forbes 30 under 30. Inda let me tell you a little about it. It provides accounting and tax services for small businesses and now it's on a streak, but the company went through some serious growing pains after it launched initially. In 2012, in fact, Ma fired her entire staff and started over. But three years later, in 2015, she was back and on the cover of Inc. for skillfully rebuilding in De Niro to now over 200 employees with an even better business model. So who is Jessica Ma? Really, I'm serious. How can we be more like her? The steps that she took to bounce back the business after clearing house in 2012. Take us there. And the advice her immigrant parents are giving her today to help put life in perspective a little bit and to allow her to make the most of her 20s. Here is Jessica Ma. Jessica Ma, welcome to So Money. You are a trailblazer, only 26 years old, and you've been dubbed the next Mark Zuckerberg, female Mark Zuckerberg. I'm pretty, uh pretty overwhelmed to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Hey, thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: So wait a minute. You've been talked about as the next Mark Zuckerberg. How does that make you feel?
1: Uh, it makes me cringe a little bit because I'm just trying to be the next Jessica Ma, right? Yeah. I just want to <laughs> be the next me.
0: <laughs> it's hard enough being yourself, but then to be compared with uh, one of the most successful, if not the most successful entrepreneur of our century – and um, but i'm sure you get a lot of inspiration from you know just being where you are in, in silicon valley it can't you can 't help it
1: yeah, that's true. I have a lot of great mentors here, a lot of people I look up to, and I feel like i'm really well supported, you know,
0: looking at your trajectory, you have been. Kind of a badass, right? I mean, you—I don't know many young girls who start coding at eight, and then you started your own business at twelve. You dropped out of high school, um, you know, at as a teenager. Which we hear often, entrepreneurs drop out of college. Not everyone drops out of high school.
1: You're sort of ahead of the curve there.
0: It sounds <laughs> well, like you just do whatever you want.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I I do what I think is best, and I dropped out of high school to go to college. Um, and I I studied computer science at Berkeley, so um, I didn't just drop out for the sake of dropping out. I thought high school just wasn't a great use of my time, and wow. I'd get a lot more if I went to college. So I'm really happy about that decision. Um, and I just really wanted to start a company young because I knew that if I went into the workforce, it'd be really hard for me to get out. I'd just get comfortable. I would enjoy having a salary and not being starving and sleeping on a sofa. And with Indonero, which is my business, um, the early days were just that. Like we were rationing um our food budget because we just didn't have enough money, right? So we had like a $15 for, you know, for two meal budget. And, um, you know, we couldn't I remember going to Costco and not being able to buy the pickles for a meal because we go over the per meal budget we set for ourselves. That's how cheap we were. And today it's a lot harder to maintain that frugality. I mean, we have 200 employees um, and we're, um, you know, we're a few years into the business now. So it's it's really uh, it's really night and day.
0: I want to talk about the frugality. I've read that you yourself, while the company has having maybe a harder time staying frugal as it's growing, but you yourself very much espouse um, frugal tendencies. And you might not assume that of someone who is a Silicon Valley entrepreneur who gets all this press and you're growing and you're very successful. You might want to spend a few things on yourself once in a while and splurge and drive the Tesla That's not necessarily you. And we'll get to that because I think that's really fascinating. But talk more about in So was this always your passion to start an accounting software business or more you're fascinated by the technology? Like what drew you to this? Um, Doesn't seem like if I had a brilliant idea, it's a brilliant idea, but it maybe isn't maybe like my passion to do this, but was it your passion? (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, I'm passionate about a few things. One being, I just love the idea of being with other passionate entrepreneurs. And Indonero is about helping other entrepreneurs grow bigger and better and more successful businesses. Um, Just a step back, we do accounting and taxes for other businesses. So we are their outsourced finance department. We give companies the software and the service to take care of all of their accounting. And it, you're right, it doesn't seem like a really sexy problem. But we're helping uh, business owners and we're also helping them with something else I'm passionate about, which is managing their money better, not just spending all over the place, knowing where every penny's going. And I think that within an era, we're helping other entrepreneurs do that a lot better. Um, so that's why that's why I actually really love this business.
0: You had some growing pains launching this, right? talk about that. I know you've been transparent in the press about it, but that's kind of what has made you even stronger today. But take us back to when times were really tough.
1: Um, Well, times are still really tough. Um, I don't know when that'll ever change. I think when I first started, my expectation was, oh man, after we take care of these issues in three or four months from now, my life will be so much better. And I actually went back and read through all my diary entries for the past few years. And I realized that I always, um, I always told myself that I'd be happier after XYZ event happened. And then I never got happier. I just came up with something new that I would struggle with. And so at first, the problems were around like, how do we afford to pay our rent? How could we pay for the food? How do we get investors to give us money so we could start the business? How do we get our first customers And we got a lot of people to sign up for our first early rendition of the product, but we couldn't get anyone to pay for it. And so we had a fundamental issue there with just our basic product market fit. We weren't solving a painkiller problem. At first, we were giving people an online interface to see how their business was doing, but we weren't actually doing their accounting. We weren't actually filing their taxes for them. So why would you pay more than you know a few pennies for that? Um, and today the problems are just on a different scale. Like yesterday I went through my employee survey results. And while by and large, I have a very happy, engaged, uh, workplace. I still have some teams that didn't score as well. And I'm trying to get to the bottom of that. And, and then, um, I mean, that's just one issue I had to deal with yesterday. So, um, I don't think the problems ever go away. And I wish that people told me that. In a more concrete manner when I first got started.
0: Well, there's a difference between being a founder and a CEO. And do you like being a CEO or do you like more the, you know, being in a place of, of big vision leadership, launching ideas, being more of uh, the, you know, the visionary as opposed to someone who, like you just described, is more involved in kind of the day-to-day. Um, at some point, some founders don't want to be CEOs and they don't no longer... uh, They resign as CEO. Do you think
1: that's something that maybe is in your future? Um, I take it one day at a time. Honestly, um, I really want to be a good CEO and I really want to want to be a good CEO. So I'm going to push myself to do this for a lot longer because I'm learning so much from the process. And I think that by forcing myself to... Deal with all these like employee challenges, fundraising challenges, hiring better executive challenges, that would also make me be a better founder for when I eventually start another company and um and so I think that I think that founders would be better off if they wait longer before they move on to their next company. That's just how i how I see things. I think people give up too early; they give up on the CEO role before they've really had a chance to see their company flourish. Right. Well,
0: going back to how you guys launched, and um, you were in, y- you were a Y Combinator uh, bit startup. And while their their mon- the investment they provide, I think is like a little over hundred thousand dollars. Right? It's not you know millions and millions. But you see small businesses and startups taking a lot of money in the beginning of their um, of the launch, and it it backfires. What's your philosophy on? you know, accepting investment dollars because there's a big risk to that. It's, it's sexy to say that you've gotten all this funding, but there's a huge responsibility that comes with it that not every business is ready to shoulder.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a great middle ground there. I think that the advice they give us is to raise as much money as we could get because you don't know when the economy is going to tighten up, when investors are going to be more picky And you don't know how long it's going to take for your business to get off the ground. So it makes sense that you want to raise a lot of money um, if you can get it up front. With that said, um, some best practices I've heard, put half that money into another bank account and pretend that it doesn't exist. Run your company as if you only have half that money. Um, And also, if you think you need X dollars, raise um, 1.5X the dollars you think you need. And I think if people actually were able to follow through on these best practices, then they wouldn't um, they they wouldn't run into such big issues. So there, there's there's a middle ground, I think.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you have to be super disciplined because I mean that's that's hard. You get 1.5 million dollars, but act like you only have half of that. That's uh, a lot of temptation. In 2012, you fired all your staff, and last year you were on the cover of Inc. Um, so tell us like, <laughs> wait a minute, what, what, what did you put in place that allowed you to jump back in just three years to be a revered founder hailed on and the cover of a magazine where, you know, a few years before that it was like, maybe you were sinking ship.
1: Um, yeah, I remember, I remember thinking that everything was falling apart and, and uh, it didn't look too good for me. I, I thought, all right, well. I might have to get a real job. I might have to start another company and my reputation's probably destroyed now cuz I just burned a million bucks of other people's money into a fire pit never to be recovered again. So I felt pretty bad about that, but I also knew that I had to move on and the best way I can move on is just to think about solutions instead of dwelling on the problem. And so I just read so many self-help books. I read, I read a lot of Tony Robbins, a lot of Dale Carnegie, a lot of, you know, that entire genre of self-help and got myself to be more positive about everything and to think, wow, like when I get through this, not if I get through this, but when I get through this, it'll be a really interesting story. <laughs> and then I eventually did get through it. I powered through. I figured out how to build something customers would want to buy, which is ultimately what I had to do. And, um, and then we pitched the turnaround story to a bunch of places. I also pitched it to Inc. And they didn't like the story at first so um i kind- of, I kind of think there's a lesson here, and it's about perseverance, like I pitched this turnaround story to two or three different uh reporters at Inc, and it took the third or fourth one before she picked it up, ran it to the president and and got it to be um you know the cover story and um not a lot of people know that um a lot of people just think that you got chosen. Um, and, you know, we didn't have to work for it or it was accidental or it was lucky, but that, that absolutely wasn't the case at all. There was a strategy behind it. And, um, and then even then I felt a little reluctant about, about, I feel very reluctant about all this. Um, you know, when media paints me in a positive light because I want to stay humble. I also realized that I still have a lot of problems in my business and I always hated the idea of going from rags to riches because I don't really see it that way. I think it's a constant journey where we would be so much better off if we enjoyed each part of our journey. And so I'm trying to think less about the outcome, less about how to get to the next milestone and more on like, how do I make every day a learning experience? So a little bit of tangent there, but that's just how I feel about the whole situation.
0: I'm listening to you. I'm like, when I was 26, did I think like this? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Did I take these kinds of risks? Did I think about strategy and launching it? No, I was, I was actually excited when I was 26 that I negotiated my first salary raise, which is a nice accomplishment. But in comparison to everything that you've been through up till this point in your life at such a young age is, uh, Incredible, and I'm um, so I'm hearing you talk, and I'm I'm collecting some ideas about the kind of person that you are, and the words that come to mind. You know, you are someone who perseveres. You're strategic. You also take re- healthy risks. Is this nature or nurture? Can you tell me a little bit about the DNA of Jessica Ma and and how you became and how you are the person that you are?
1: Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, just for some family background. My parents are both immigrants from Hong Kong, and my mom runs her own business. And she came to America with two suitcases, very little money, started and bootstrapped her own company. And so I kind of had that role model from a very early age. And she's just been such an inspiring force in my life. My dad, also awesome. He's uh, an engineer at Sloan Kettering. So that's kind of where I got the the engineering and mathy mindset. Um, so I, I, f- I think I got a, got pretty lucky there with the parenting. But also, like I've struggled with all these things. Um, one thing I have an issue with is um, I have a really active comparison mind, which means when I go through problems in my life and in my business, I compare myself to other people. And I wonder, why am I not more successful? Why am I not doing as well as that person to my left. And I brought that up with uh, my friend, Brian Chesky. He's the founder and CEO of Airbnb. And I just saw him like a few weeks ago and I told him this. I'm like, Brian, like I'm not as successful as you. I feel like such a failure compared to you. And he said, and he put me in my place. He's like, Jessica, um, you know, when Bill Gates was your age, Microsoft's market cap was less than yours. And when I was your age, I still had a normal job. So you're technically ahead of both of us, but you're not thinking about it in the right way. And so the lesson there for me is, well, just by talking more openly about what I'm going through and the feelings I'm experiencing to, and sharing this with people I respect, I'll get some new perspective and, um, and insights that help me be a better, better leader and a better person. So that's why I'm so open about these things.
0: That's a great lesson. Yeah, having perspective is is incredible. And by the way, Brian Chesky, Airbnb is very successful, but there's probably not a day that goes by that he doesn't have serious problems because the Airbnb <laughs> is like it's it's a controversial Business model. And I know yeah. I'm a big fan of Airbnb, but I know a lot of, um, legis- a lot of uh, lawmakers are not and landlords are not. And so, and lobbyists are not. So it's, uh, I'm sure he has an uphill battle most days as well as also, um, enjoying his success. Where do you see yourself in the next, I mean, do you think, do you think, how far down the road do you think as far as where I want to be? I know you said like you're taking it day by day, but part of you has to also have long term goals. What are they?
1: Yeah. um, I think day by day on a lot of things, just on like, how am I feeling? How am I enjoying my current experience? But I think decades out as far as like impact goes. So I do have um, certain impact goals and targets I'm looking to meet. I'd like to positively improve the lives of tens of millions of people, at least in the world. And I've got a lot of um, concepts I'm working on to actually achieve that. Um, And I'm starting to actually build a team to full-time help me work on some of those projects. So I can still be the full-time CEO of Indonero, but I'm also starting to make progress on my impact projects. And the reason why I'm doing that now and not waiting is because I see so many of my older friends who've pushed it off. They, they said when they're my age, I'll wait till I have money and success before I try to improve the world. And then when that comes along, they say, I'll wait till I can start in college. And then after that, it's, well, I'm kind of tired. So, <laughs> so it's never a great time to, to really make an impact. So that's why I'm getting an early start.
0: Yeah, you've had an early start on a lot of things, including learning how to code. You naturally had that exposure growing up because of your dad being an engineer, but how do we allow young women to be more successful in technology and STEM?
1: I think that it starts by just making it fun and by just showing them how cool it is. So there are a lot of great programs, at least in, I know, in New York where I'm from and out in San Francisco where I currently live, where um, there are like girls- uh, Girls can code type of programs where you send your daughters between age age as young as five or six and you know up through 17, 18 years old to um, get hands on mentoring and tutoring from actual um, from women who either work in the field right now or who are studying computer science in college. And you know you make games, you build cool projects, and um, I have a lot of friends who are mentoring in such programs, and I think that's that's an actionable thing everyone can do today. Did you feel at the time that you were doing something that was
0: outlier-ish? That like, while all the other girls were maybe taking dance lessons or whatever,
1: and you were learning to code, did you did you realize that this was you were doing something different? I didn't at the time because it just seemed like such a fun thing that I didn't, I, my mind didn't go there. And I think now if, if I was, if I was uh, a 10 year old today, I'd be, um, in a even better place because there are just so many more resources out there. And with all these programs out there with, um, with other young girls doing programming, you have a built-in community and support system. So, you know, you're not alone. Um, whereas for me, although I'm, I'm lucky and my mind didn't go there, I, I could have, I could have felt that as well. So, um, but well, I'm happy about the experience. I mean, I definitely got lucky. And um, and I think we all just got to chip in to really build more of these supportive programs. So take us inside the life
0: of Jessica Ma. When you go home and you're, it's just you and your bank account, you and your wallet, what are the choices that you make and how do you make those choices? You talked about being frugal as a business owner and i've read too that you are quite frugal in your own personal life so take us through that even though some people might think oh you've struck gold uh running this company and you're very successful but you still have to penny
1: pinch yeah i still penny pinch because i think it's fun um to penny pinch and i think I, i don't really think that's ever going to fully end so um a lot of people think i live like a glamorous lifestyle but it's like I'm just smart about things. Like I use my credit card miles from my business to help me fly first class to Hong Kong, right? Like I don't have to pay any money to do that. Um for my meals, I really love cheap Chinese food. I don't know why, but I just love cheap Chinese food. So um I I'm still I'm still enjoying That um, helps
0: to like cheap
1: Chinese food then <laughs> as opposed to yeah. caviar. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just like small examples like that. Um, and, and, um, I mean, I just don't really have much to spend money on right now in my life. So that also really helps. Um, I mean, you're working a lot, right? So that's kind of the benefit to working a lot
0: is that you don't have time to go out and, um, be bored and spend money.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I'd say the one vice I have and everyone's got some vice, so I just want to be honest and and truthful about it. I love flying airplanes. It's like my real passion hobby. And it's the one thing that gets my mind off of work on the weekend. Um, so when I got my license, I, I took out the, the cheapest, oldest uh, plane out there. And now, you know, when I fly with friends, I try to fill up the plane, split it a few ways so that when I go to LA, it costs me the same amount that I'd pay to fly on Southwest. Um, so um, So even when I fly private, quote-unquote private, it's, it's still as cheap as commercial. Did
0: your parents teach you much about money growing up?
1: What was the, uh, the big lesson maybe that you faced
0: or learned as a kid when it came to money? I'd say
1: that I was taught... I, I, was, I was told a lot of stories about how poor my parents were when they were kids. Like My mom was so poor that she wore hand-me-downs from Her older brother. And so that inspired her to start her business of designing clothing for other women because she wants to help them feel great about themselves. And I thought, Oh, my gosh, that's such a great story that like not having money actually like led her to, you know, having quite a bit of money. And, um, and my dad always talked about that too. He grew up, you know, in the housing projects in New York city. So after he immigrated here from Hong Kong, and so just hearing those stories makes me realize, wow, like you can be like pretty happy, even if you don't have very much. And my mom talks about how, how even if she lost everything, she would be able to go back to being, to not having any money because she likes eating cheap Chinese food like me <laughs> and leftovers and whatnot. And And so they always talk about that still, even to this day. And, and I think that keeps me grounded. I think that that y'all need to hear those stories. What advice do they
0: still give you? I'm sure, I mean, my parents are all constantly giving me advice. Sometimes I take it, sometimes I just smile and look the other way. But what what are they still uh, guiding
1: you on, if anything? Well, they know that I'm naturally cheap and frugal. So, So I think that a few things they say, hey, like, you know, you're young, like you don't really have too many needs, so don't waste your money on stupid stuff. With that being said... Like also enjoy your life a bit. Like you don't need to save every penny. Like go out and fly your airplanes and like you know spend a little bit since you're making like quite a bit now. Um, So enjoy life too. So there's a balance, and I think that's something they've always been good at preaching. Um, There's a balance to everything. You don't need to be polarizing in your opinions.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if this is just me, but maybe you can also relate. But I I grew up thinking that if you wanted to be successful, you had to be working. 24-7 and, it, you know, uh, that I almost felt like if I wasn't keeping an eye on my career or work or being productive that I was, quote unquote, wasting my time. But there's so much to benefit from being out there and socializing and having fun and being crazy and making mistakes and being stupid. <laughs> and now yeah. looking back in my 20s, I'm like, I wish I was a little more stupid in my 20s, you know, just a little bit. Like, I, you know, I don't want to like... I did not want nothing catastrophic, but just <laughs> how, if I I could have afforded, honestly, I could have afforded. I could have afforded being a little more goofy and let letting loose a little bit, and maybe kissing some more boys. Fine, you know, <laughs> it's totally good. All good makes good memories and makes you more of. A, I think a, have perspective in life. So I I I agree. Like you're 26, you have. You're I'm 10 years older than you, so I um I completely agree. Like just you know. Maybe it's um like Oprah even has like Sundays, she says is like her day to just kind of relax and not, you know, not have to stress and, and everything uh it's all about her happiness that day. And I think that's important to dedicate some time. If you're such if you're super busy, it's easy to just forget to d- to give that to yourself.
1: I, I love watching the Oprah videos. Right, so <laughs> great.
0: Super Soul <laughs> Sunday. I don't know. I don't know if she's still not working on a Sunday, but um, I love. I love Super Soul Sunday. So tell me about your biggest financial success. We call this on the show the So Money Moment.
1: Yeah, let me uh, let me think about biggest money success. Um, I mean, obviously, in has been my biggest money success and i'm trying to be more specific than that but i think that um i think we made some really great decisions about 3 years ago where we decided to really um to like we decided to invest every penny of profit we made back into the business because i didn't need the money i didn't really have anything i wanted to buy and um and it's just worked out really well for us um, to stay frugal, stay lean, and not take in outside VC money for as long as possible, because you know we still like I still own most of the company, and um, I'm not beholden to other uh, shareholders and investors. And I think that was really hard for me to do because all my friends have gone the opposite direction. So I just had to stay firm in my philosophy of staying frugal, staying lean, trying to be smart about how we make our investments. And, um, and I think that ended up being the right move for us.
0: Well, Jessica, I can't wait for your next move. You are one to watch. Thanks so much for taking the time to stop by the show and and be very candid with us. We really appreciate it and um, appreciate you. and good luck with In De Niro and all the rest. Cool, thank you so much. Thanks so much to my guest Jessica Ma, founder and CEO of Indeniro, for stopping by. I really appreciate her insights. If you missed any of this, just hop on to somoneypodcast.com and download the transcript, the audio. You can also leave a comment. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for the Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money.